and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of the podcast is making a very welcome return to the show, actually. It's Davinia Taylor who is now a Sunday Times bestselling author since the huge success of her first book, It's Not a Diet. Now, uh, long-time listeners may remember that Davinia came on the show at the end of 2018. We definitely recorded around the end of 2018 after we connected on Instagram because I was fascinated by her journey and how she had turned her life around from feeling terrible to feeling on top of the world by adjusting her diet and and leaning into biohacking. Now, you only need to look at her Instagram to know just how much energy she has. And trust me, you can hear it in this episode. And to see how she was able to make those changes without any crazy fads or inaccessible means was really inspiring. And that's what I wanted to unpick with her in that conversation and what I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into in this one following on from the book. Now, she's really honest about it. Her book has been through it and she's honest about the years of alcohol abuse, which would make you think she's... She's done untold and irreversible damage, but through understanding how her body works, which admittedly that requires the expense of some testing, but because she now understands that, she's been able to make changes where she feels better now than she did 20 years ago, which is really saying something, and she really shares that in this particular conversation. And so what she's done in the book, and it's probably why it's flown off the shelves, is she's funneled down everything that she's learned along the way, because it's not happened overnight, and she's learning all the time, which she readily admits, is she's put it all into an easy to read, accessible book that personally I devoured in two sessions. She's not making any claims that she hasn't backed up or searched for the science to prove. And she has a lot of people, well-respected people in the medical space who absolutely say, good job, you've done a really good job here, Davinia. So you know you're not... um, you're not reading or listening to someone who is making any unfounded claims or is just making sweeping statements for the sake of it. And she's really passionate about sharing this information far and wide because as she explains in the show, it's almost as though there are some people out there who would rather you didn't know all of this. And when she explains that, trust me, that's a bit of a mic drop moment. She also addresses the way we're educated about food and why it's important to move away from the rhetoric of everything in moderation that tends to underpin, for example, here in the UK, the government guidelines around diet and dieting. If we, uh, if we, if it worked, we wouldn't have an obesity crisis. And this is why it's vital, she says, and I agree, that we come up with a different, more supportive approach that actually puts people's health first, long-term health first. So there's a lot that we cover in this episode. We discuss why she is so why why she was so passionate about putting pen to paper and actually putting the book together and what her what she has a talent for that has made it so accessible how her own experiences have convinced her that more people should try this out because she's seen the benefit and the people that have tried it also have also seen the benefit which is why i think people who have read the book have received it so well why she thinks obesity is a very slow death 
and I know that's quite controversial, but she explains it perfectly in the episode, why no one should be judged for being overweight because there are often a multitude of factors at play, and these are many times invisible factors. So that's why she says, of course, people shouldn't be shamed, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be educating people how not to be overweight. Why we should be thinking about more, more about food and how it makes us feel after we eat it rather than how it makes us feel when we're eating it. And when I thought about that, I thought of all the times I've bitten into something and thought, oh, amazing. And then maybe half an hour later or an hour later, thought, oh, God, that might have disagreed with me. And it's, it's always the instant hit moment that maybe we focus on. And what Davinia says is think about the long term feeling. Think about how you'll feel 15 minutes later, half an hour later. Why living her healthier life? doesn't cost money and actually just requires some fairly small changes i think there's often this thing out that we see out there in the world of oh if you want to live a really good healthy life it's going to cost you and actually divinity is like no actually in a lot of cases it's going to be cheaper how much of an effort it is not to like yourself when we talk about both of our um, issues with uh, having felt uncomfortable in our own skin and knowing that we weren't healthy and what that was like and she says it's such an effort not to like yourself it's a constant battle that no one else knows that you're fighting why processed food is so bad for us and not just for the reasons you probably already know it's actually quite layered the role of hormones and how we feel and the lifestyle changes we can implement that can help and why exercising because we don't just talk about food we talk about exercise and what role that plays in all of this and why exercising doesn't have to mean being a gym bunny bunny or going hell for leather and there's just so much she's so generous you'll hear she wants to share as much of this as possible so get ready it's a high octane episode if ever there was one um she's brilliant the book is absolutely fantastic and obviously the links to Davinia and the book will be in the show notes but for now I'm very pleased to welcome Davinia Taylor back onto the Emma Gunn show welcome back to the podcast Davinia Taylor how are you um a little bit under the weather uh family life has meant that I'm surrounded by germs all the time and um and I actually know why I've got this cold it's because I haven't been taking glutathione which I know I'm depleted in because of my DNA test I did so it's my own fault for not arming myself against the disgusting boys in this house <laughs> well this is brilliant so last time you came on the podcast we talked about biohacking and about basically how you turned your life and your health around by taking charge of your food, your diet, your exercise, and just taking a look at things. And now you've written this book, It's Not a Diet, the no cravings, no willpower way to get lean and happy for good. And I've followed you on Instagram for a while now. So I've seen all of your expertise and everything that you've been doing, and you funneled it into a really brilliant book. Thank you. I wanted to make it, excuse the pun, digestible because um, I think it can be really overpowering. All the advice out there, go plant-based, go plant -based, don't go plant-based. Um, you know, don't eat before eight o'clock, eat before eight o'clock. You know, I don't have sugar, have sugar, I don't have fruit. I mean, it's just everywhere. So I have literally curated, because obviously I, I didn't go to university to be a doctor or a geneticist or have a PhD in microbiology. I don't have that. I certainly don't have time and I don't have... The inclination to so I've basically done what maybe someone who owns an art gallery would and I've kind of curated and cherry-picked some of the most forward-thinking and out there um, expertise opinions and views that is slightly away from the normal rhetoric of everything in moderation the sort of like NHS guidelines to how to have a balanced meal because quite frankly I think it's outdated and clearly looking at the population, it's not working. 
Um, so there is the information out there and that it is all study backed, but it's a case of who's got time to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did, and I put it all into a book and kind of put it into how it worked for me and in my words, because a lot of the science stuff is super boring to read. I mean, there is no jokes and I really <laughs> relate. It's literally the worst writing ever, except Tim Spector, Professor Tim Spector, yeah. who um, gave mine the thumbs up, my book, the thumbs up. So I was like, oh, my goodness, I've like got a tick from the headmaster or headmaster's award because he's like so ridiculously qualified. It's a joke, like the cleverest guy I know. But he said it was a great book. But, you know, his book, The Diet Myth, was really good. And I wanted to emulate that, but it's slightly more for me and how I was overweight you know and I just wanted to put it in layman's terms and how to implement it in normal day-to-day life and me being you know mother of four boys moving house at the time going through a custody battle I was on you know I I was in a stressful situation so it kind of gave me an even more of an insight of how you really need to look after yourself when you are under pressure because otherwise it can implode You you balloon uh, you can't think properly. You can't be creative. And worst of all, you can't be positive and you can't be a good friend, good mother, good wife, good anything, really, if you're inflamed. Well, that was the thing. That was the thing that started it all, wasn't it? Was it a I'm overweight and I'm unhappy with that? Or was it that I'm overweight, I feel terrible. And I know that I know how life has felt previously when I was younger and in shape and not feeling this way. And so... Uh, to be shifted. honest, I, I just sorry, I didn't mean to jump in on that. To be honest, I don't think I've ever been as healthy as I am now. I think I've always been predisposed to a bit of inflammation because mm-hmm. of my diet. I just didn't. didn't so, I mean, looking at pictures, I, I've, I've always sort of battled with my weight. I've always had to control what I was eating and use a lot of willpower, which I don't really have because A, I'm an addict, you know, and it's it's in, it's in me to, you know, have more and more. And I just crave like ferociously it's like not being able to scratch an itch Mm. is how I like him when I'm craving something so it's it takes over the forefront of my mind um so I think I've always been inflamed and I've always been battling battling with myself with regards to food and then alcohol um so but I didn't even realize that I was so overweight it was only when I went to a doctor um uh, and he said, look, you're borderline obese. And I was, wow. I think we were in so much denial, like I was with alcohol, you know? I, I didn't think I had a problem, but I clearly had a problem with the food I was eating too. Metabolically, I was uh, vulnerable. And that made me mentally vulnerable. And I felt very weak, as in I didn't have any get up and go. I didn't have any sort of creativity. I didn't have any inspiring thoughts. I couldn't really think to the future positively. I had a very negative rhetoric in my head about myself as it, and it wasn't actually the weight because I didn't even notice the weight because it had just crept up. So I just assumed that that was me, you know? Mm. And uh, it was more about the mental incapacity that was making me feel really vulnerable as a human being physically as well. I just thought I can't move. I can't, if somebody chased me in the park, I just, you know, I just have to sit there and get attacked. Is what I, I was thinking, living in central London at the time. And I just thought, I've not got a sprint in me. Mm-hmm. I've not got a fight in me. And that sort of like clicked something in my head to say, this isn't quite right. You want to feel strong. And I didn't. Mm. It's so so it, was the, it was the brain issue over above the body issue because I didn't even realise it was a body issue because <laughs> I was in denial. 
Yeah, well, it's funny because, and sorry, it's not, obviously it's about you, it's not about me, but I think about my relationship with my body and how disconnected I felt. So I, I like you, like went through a series of, went through depression and actually, I really f- I felt that very acutely. And the fact that, that I then also realized I was a lot heavier than I had been before didn't come as a shock necessarily, but I wasn't, I hadn't noticed exactly as you said. It was more about what was going on mentally. Yeah. And also you can kind of dress in a certain way and, you know, you and you see what you want to see in the mirror often. Yeah, yeah. And kind of how on. And, you know, there's, there's, there's great clothes there for high fashion clothes for larger women. So it was fun. And I always used to go into H&M because they generally size up. Mm. So I was, you know, I was always, I was, ne- I was never like really a 16. I was always like a 14, which is fine because I've had four kids, you know, but it wasn't. It was all, it was everything I was telling myself just to continue with what I was doing, which I thought was treating myself. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was actually slowly killing myself. You know, it's a very, very, very slow death over decades, but it's a really drawn out one, being depressed, being overweight and eventually hidden into obesity, diabetes, heart disease. It takes decades, but the majority of the population are on that treadmill, as in the slow death treadmill. And uh, I think the government needs to sit up and start looking more preventative and taking these inflammatory ingredients out of our diet and replacing them with decent ones so the food still tastes the same because mm. you know but we want it we want nice tasting food because we've been brought up in it but they need to start swapping out these ingredients sorry my dog is shouting at me because I won't let him in it's just eyeballing me and shouting so I'm really glad you said that because I think in the current world that we live in it's it's um it, it can be quite controversial to talk about weight in that way because mm. we, we've moved into this space where we're embracing it and we're celebrating it and we're not shaming people which is quite right no one should be made to feel terrible by another human about how they look but you also very much come from the standpoint of but if this is going to limit you in any way you should know about that and act on it yeah that, yeah yeah I mean we all have a choice and um, I just think a lot of pressure is put on people to lose weight but the demand is impossible because the government are still facilitating these food companies selling highly addictive foods and with really inflammatory ingredients mm. so it's like nobody can win you know and I think everybody wants to feel mentally sharp and like I've, I've said a few times, if you feed the brain correctly, the body will follow no matter what size you're meant to be, mm. because I'd love to be another three inches taller. You know, I'd love to have a smaller waist, but I'm not going to get that because I'm shorter and I'm athletic and I'm a bit stockier. But hell, I feel OK about it mentally. I'm in a place where I don't hate myself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my body's strong. That's all I can wish for. But most of all, my brain is clear of that negativity. And I think that should be the first step. Uh, before anybody starts judging people's bodies because we're all different some people have spinal issues some people have heart issues you know some people have there's a million plethora of different body issues that we, we don't even need to know about as long as people's brains are working at their maximum potential who cares what your body looks like as long as it is functioning well you know mm-hmm. I mean the big small wide the, whatever it's about feeling uninflamed I don't yeah. know what the correct word for that is because then the world's a happier place and then we can start feeding our children stuff that's not going to set them on a trajectory of diet and 
beating yourself up because you've got no willpower. But I mean, how can you be armed against something that's as powerful and as addictive as crack cocaine? This is mm. this this is what these bliss foods are, you know? Yeah, yeah. But there's so there's a difference then between body shape and everybody having a completely different body shape. Um, you and I could spend a month together eating exactly the same thing and we're not going to get yeah. the same body. But right. the, the, the difference is, so there's body shapes, but there's body sizes in terms of weight and, and fat yes. and the obesity crisis that you've referenced in the book as well. And yeah. I, are people being honest about that? I mean, I, I don't want to enable anybody. I'm, I come from a background of alcoholism, you know, and because it's so... The, the good thing about being an alcoholic is it's so impactful on your surrounding environment and people that you get an intervention. Mm. Whereas, like I said before, obesity is a very slow death. You know, the, 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 the chain reactions that eventually get you there are pretty horrific. And, you know, I'm really lucky, like 90% of alcoholics never recover. But I think what has helped me recover is taking out those depressive foods and those mm. highly addictive foods that have interrupted my gut's capability of producing serotonin and making me ultimately baseline happy so I can deal with the pressures of the 21st century life. Mm. And that's what I want for everybody, regardless of their body shape, is so they can just not overeat or, because I mean, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be overeating. We could have hormone uh, imbalances here triggered mm. by uh, these foods you know and I just think there are so many different uh, reasons why people aren't losing weight I mean I'm, I'm into the perimenopause you know the people that are, women who are in the menopause cannot sometimes shift weight at all this needs to be addressed on a hormonal level so no matter what stage of life you're in I think we all need support because mm -hmm. we have got an evolutionary mismatch so our bodies are still sort of primitive like cavemen Yet we have got these crazy space age foods, products on, in, in abundance everywhere. And then we have artificial light. We don't have enough movement to counteract these. I don't think you could ever outrun an inflammatory disease, by the way, an, an inflammatory diet. I don't think you can ever outrun Pringles. I don't think you can ever outrun Haagen-Dazs or, or Domino's. You can't, you can't do that. So the, that calorie sort of deficit thing is is an, an incomplete equation now. Mm. So um, I think we are in an evolutionary mix match and we need to take some of these ingredients out to let people's bodies heal. And I think we also have the idea of treating ourselves with Mr. Kipling's cakes and stuff. It's not a treat. Mm. It's just triggering a depressive episode in your gut. Uh, well, an inflammatory episode in your gut, which will then trigger a depressive episode in your brain. And then you're back to square one because you're craving again. So I think we all need help and education to sort of get that phase one. So our brains are armed against all this, these low moods, you know, and there's so many different reasons why people are overweight and so many different stages in their sort of journey to getting healthy that we can't judge people because we don't know what's going on. You mm -hmm. know, we don't know what's going on in the background in their hormones. I mean, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge someone who's overweight? Have I seen their DNA? Have I seen their hormonal hormonal charts? Do I know what their estrogen's doing at the moment? Do I help? So shut up and just pass on what, what you did to get where you are. And that's that's what I'm doing. You know, they're all different. It's not just calories in. It's not a case of, you know, eat less, move more. It doesn't bloody work. It's the most mundane, wet wipe sort of advice I've heard. <laughs> and it just doesn't help anyone. And it just guilts everybody. And it's just unhelpful. And it's usually by uh, men who say that. So 
See, interestingly, calories in, calories out worked for me, but it has evolved. So, and, and I want to come back to this, but when I had basically my light bulb moment, when I just thought I don't want to be on this treadmill, on this hamster wheel of just yeah. gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight. The thing that actually helped me shift the weight originally, initially was calories in, calories out. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the way, it became about quality of calories in, calories out. So it became about actually the 97 calorie bag of cheese and onion squares, which I do love and enjoy. I would rather have some prawns or I would rather have an equivalent calorie, but something much healthier, whether that's, I don't know, half a slice of sourdough with something. Do you know what I mean? And it was understanding that actually I've, I've tinkered with my calories but I think there's more here and I want to feed myself with better food. Yeah, because I always, because I'm from uh, an alcoholic background and uh, I don't, I mean, I don't go to AA or anything anymore, but that what I did learn in AA was fast forward. So I always look at a food as an addict and I, I know all the foods. I know, I know them all. I, I'm very familiar with your cheese and onion squares. Yes, <laughs> I, I personally prefer the salt and vinegar, more of a tang. Um, but I always, if I saw those, I would always think, okay, what's going to happen to me in, in 15 minutes after eating that? Mm. I'll have triggered something in my brain. And my receptors will go, okay, now you've had the salt and vinegar, you need chocolate. And then I'll be back on the salt and vinegar. And all of a sudden I've set off a chain reaction. By the end of the day, I'm ordering Domino's pizza and, you know, I'm reaching for a can of Coke. So I just have to understand where, my, where that first bite is going to take me. And that's why I always say it might sound really expensive and a complete waste of money. But if you're going to go out for dinner, have a protein shake beforehand because you have got no armory against that bread roll. <laughs> when you sit in a restaurant there is nothing that could keep me away from that except mm. deep nutrition beforehand mm. and I don't want to fill up on bread because I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna bloat mm. and I don't want to bloat because I want to you know maybe go for a walk after we've been out for dinner otherwise I'm just in a carp coma I don't want I just want to go home go to bed and I've got the kids all you know having a nice time and I'm shattered I don't mm. drink wine to liven myself up so what do I do I have to avoid the foods that are going to inflame me and make me tired and make me want to go to sleep, you know? And that's, that's what I think it's so important for me to stay upbeat and stay energized. And these are the hacks that I've done around there because 21st century life isn't ideal. There's temptation everywhere. Mm. I mean, I, I, I know that. And this is, this is what I do to sort of mitigate it. And I'll take activated charcoal before I go out for dinner, you know, because I know they're going to be using these inflammatory oils and Corella, you know, Corella and uh, activated charcoal will bind onto these oils. So it won't hit my gut and I won't have a a sort of food hangover for like 24 hours after while my gut's trying to process this oil that's never meant to be in our food chain. Mm. And there's, there's certainly workarounds. So I'm not telling people to stay in and cook whole food all the time because I have four children. I don't have any help. That's just the way it is. You know, we, we, I, I have to sometimes get them a pizza and of course I'm going to take a slice, but I just need to know what I'm doing in the process to stop my addictive brain from shifting into fifth gear and just going hell for leather, you know? You, you said a minute ago, you're quite lucky that you have this alcoholic personality because of how it's informed this journey. Do you mm-hmm. think actually that if we're eating a Western diet, if, we almost need to acknowledge, do you know, I'm probably addicted to it and then understand mm. it in that way. 
Yeah, but it's going to be very tricky uh, because, I mean, every magazine I pick up, it's like, treat yourself, do this, do that. It's just so seductive. Mm. And uh, I think if we all have a good look at ourselves, um, we all have an ism that we we can't stop, whether it's social media, whether it's um, carbohydrates, whether it's just sugars, whether it is wine, whether it is crack cocaine, whether it's gambling. You know, there is something that the 21st century is so readily available for us to take a dopamine hit that I think the majority of the population do, but they don't realize that it's actually detrimental to them. And I was pretty lucky to get sober just when I turned 30. So I've had, you know, I've I've had a good 13 years at this. Mm. So I understand going through my 30s, how to navigate the alcohol triggers. But what I didn't realize that is, you know, sneaking rather slyly was the old carbohydrate sugar addiction as well and I didn't realize I was eating on my emotions and it was causing me essentially brain damage you know I I was damaging my brain with these ingredients and it sounds dramatic but if something affects your mood and takes you down a peg or two there's something going on in there with your with, with your synapses you know and it needs to be looked at and if you get a high and a low from it sound familiar (laughs) a hundred percent now you probably get this message I know I've had it quite a lot so I talked about on my Instagram and on the podcast about I read a book called brain over binge that made me see my relationship with food from a distance which has been really helpful and also having the breast reduction was a big trigger to sort of connecting again with my body I talked about being disconnected earlier and I get a lot of people saying in DM I don't have the time to listen to all the podcasts and watch all the videos. What, just tell me what diet you did or how did you get motivated or what was the, tell me what was, what happened in that light bulb moment. And Davinia, I've sat down many a time and I've tried to figure it out because I would be a gazillionaire if I could actually put it into words, but there was definitely a shift. And funnily, I don't know if it's the same for you. I can't compute how my attitude was beforehand because it's so different now, but I also can't put into words the thing that made it shift. And so what I, I mean, wanted to- I think you, you have to shift into survival mode because you need the understanding that, okay, let's take all my energy that I'm doing to justify what I'm eating, to you know tell myself X, Y, and Z, uh, to buy clothes that disguise my weight or talk myself into you know, a better mood or, or whatever, and just start taking out inflammatory ingredients and seeing the actual proof in the pudding, so to speak, you know, by not eating pudding. Um, I just think it is a survival instinct that kicks in. And once you understand this is your life and are you sick and tired of being sick and tired or have you got another five years in you? It's up to you, you know, it is up to you. And what I've done in the book is just highlight the ingredients that I got rid of that I wasn't completely unaware of mm. and replace them with ingredients that do the same thing, like replacing sunflower oil for butter, you know, or uh, refined sugar for honey or syrup. It wasn't such a big, traumatic, calorie restrictive sort of, ah, I'm, I can't wait for the weekend to binge. It wasn't like that. I just swapped for real nutrition, for deep nutrition, because there's enzymes in honey that you don't get in refined sugar. Mm -hmm. And it was a case of, okay, I am not paying a CEO 
to sit on a super yacht, fly private around the world by funding them and their products, which are causing me inflammation. So you've got the big five, you've got like Unilever, General Mills, Nestle, Kraft. I mean, these big boys, like I think there's five of them that own all the products that you consume in a packet, mm -hmm. even the healthy ones. And these guys spend billions on making the food addictive. And all I have to do is picture them while I'm dealing with chaos in my little kitchen. I picture them with an army of staff looking after them on a 20 billion pound yacht. And I, it's, that's enough. I'll switch to rage, rage and pissed offness. That'll keep me away from Pringles for that moment in time. It'll come back again. But once again, I'll just see them on the private jets with a bed and air hostesses and champagne. And that'll be enough for me to go, bastards. And then I'll move, I'll, I'll get out the center aisles and I'll go back to the outside aisles. Yeah, you've just ruined Pringles for me, but I don't think that's necessarily <laughs> bad. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that's really interesting about survival. And I remember texting you a little while ago and we were chatting and you said that thing about, you said, what was the thing that um, finally made it click for you? And I said, I was just sick and tired. And you said, yeah, you were sick and tired of being sick and tired of yourself. Yes, it's really hard work. Being inflamed, being depressed and putting yourself through that constant craving is really hard work. Mm -hmm. It is so time consuming and it is such an effort to not like yourself. It's mm -hmm. a constant battle and I just got sick of it. And fortunately, what took me five years, I've managed to put in a small book that you took you like two sittings to read, you know? Two sittings and, in the park. Yeah, exactly. And there's still tons more out there. There's the more I'm reading, I mean, I want to write another book and like put more in there, you know, particularly about hormones and female hormones and how they affect our weight gain. But I, I just wanted something to get people started and just to tell my story and how it relates to me, because probably it relates to most other people as well. Because, you know, um, I'm, I'm just like a, a normal girl from Lancashire with the same old bloody stresses of everybody else. And, uh, you know, I, I still have to go to the supermarket every bloody day to get X, Y and Z and, you know, consider what the kids are having and watch their moods and all the, all the spinning plates that come with being a woman, you know, and I've tried to put, put it in there as relatable as possible and just fast track it for everyone. Yeah. And that's actually what really comes across, because I think uh, in the job that I've done for so many years in this wellness sphere as well, there's this thing that's happened with eating well. And I'm putting well in inverted commas here, but sort of eating. There's some sort of morally superior implication about eating mung beans or being plant based or any of these things. And, you know, little Tristan goes to nursery with a Tupperware full of I don't know whatever you know all fermented army and hummus yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> and and that's fine obviously that's fine if he wants to eat well but what I mean is that there's a sort of tone of it's not for you or it's just for a certain type of woman and I think a certain type of income and I think what you very much do is doesn't it doesn't have to be no I mean to be honest some of the um cheapest cuts of beef are the most nutritious because for some reason I I think it was way, way back after the 60s study that has been debunked now by a guy called Ansel Keys, who decided that saturated fat was bad for us and it caused cholesterol, which by the, by the way, cholesterol is really good for your hormones. You need cholesterol to make hormones. So mm -hmm. a local, that is another complete fallacy. Mm -hmm. um, 
that we've not even changed our rhetoric yet, you know, but that, that's a whole different story. Anyway, I get back to my point. So everybody became obsessed with lean meat, mm. leaner cuts of meat, and particularly with beef and chicken, like the chicken breast, that's super expensive. You don't need that. You need the fattier cuts. That's where the nutrition is. That's where all the enzymes in. That's where all the vitamins are. You can taste the difference. And that's because it's deeper nutrition. And don't get me wrong. They'll probably put the prices up soon as soon as the supermarkets realize that that's what we're all doing. But it's actually the cheaper cuts. I mean, the most nutritionally dense food on the whole planet is beef liver. And that ends up in landfill. You know, so if you want to take advantage of that, Go to your butcher, ask him for some beef liver, chop it up and put it in a bolognese. The kids won't notice, but they are getting more than a, a billion times more than any kale will give you. Kale, in fact, bloats you. So, you know, this is, this is, what, this is what I'm trying to say. Mm. It's there for the taking. It's just whether you can be asked to, to do it. And that's what it's about. You know, well, it's just changing your routine a little bit and start, I mean, just freeze the, uh, free, freeze the liver and just fry it off with some onions and put it in a bolognese you know or whatever you want to do or you know you can even buy you can buy freeze-dried tablets now with these organs in so you can just neck a couple of tablets and you've got heart liver kidney everything that we are a bit queasy about because yeah well, we've all been told it's got to be lean cuts of meat but what our great-grandparents had is probably a far more superior diet to anything that we have that's plant-based now plant-based super expensive super processed and it's just another marketing tool and that v that really healthy looking vegan v is just so misleading the amount of processed ingredients in vegan food is unbelievable now if you want to go vegan because of animal rights i understand that i can't change but right now my mental health is a little bit more important. I've got four kids to look after. I cannot be depleted in B12 and no synthetic B12 touches the sides of me. I need bioavailable vitamins mm -hmm. to support me. I've danced with the devil. You know, I nearly died through alcohol because I was nutritionally depleted. It was causing insane cravings. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to go back there. I don't want my kids to see me drunk. I don't want my kids to see me trying to commit suicide. So I'm sorry. I wish, it, I wish farming wasn't so cruel, but there's nothing I can do about it right now. Mm. it's um it's what you say about the processed stuff I have to be honest I think one of the biggest changes I've made is I make pretty much everything from scratch now right. and I don't the thing that has shocked me most about that is how quick it is we've okay got a whole industry of convenience food to save time and actually making something from scratch is not something that robs you of your time at all and it's also a pleasurable way to spend your time that and I'm as soon as I started cooking which would have been and I mean properly cooking every day from scratch which would have been about I don't know 18 months ago nearly two years the biggest shock was I can't believe I've just whacked together that amazing vegetable bolognese in like 20 minutes and it's yeah. delicious yeah I mean I, I am pretty bad at cooking. I hate it. I mean, my go-to is scrambled eggs or an omelette, you know, and I, I fill the kids' food with, it's a complete protein. That's what they have every morning. So this morning they just had some um, scrambled eggs, bit of organic cheese from Sainsbury's, and that was like whizzed up into an omelette and off they went to school. That's it. Yeah. They don't have any toast. They don't have cereal. Again, think of Mr. Kellogg's on his super yard, probably choppering in 
no, I'm not supporting that industry. It's complete. It's, it, it, do you know what? I was speaking to Tim Spector on a podcast I did with him, and he told me that cereal that's fortified with iron, right? So obviously everyone thinks, great, they've put the iron in there for me. My kids are getting iron. You can get a magnet over a bowl of cereal and you can do this um, over the and you'll get shards of iron. Shards. Right? No. Yeah, that's for, that's how they fortify their cereal. You're telling me that's not industrialised? And that's um, not processed food? Yeah. So be aware of how... Because, you know, these big cereal companies, these big foods like Unilever and stuff, they own the labelling laws, so they can put whatever they want on it. I watched two documentaries. <laughs> yeah, I watched two documentaries recently, Sea Spiracy. Oh, Although yeah. my friend Lindsay- Can I just ask you about that? Sea Spiracy. Yeah. Surely the sea was at the end. Oh my what? God, I was about to say that. Why didn't they Why call it Conspiracy? It conspiracy. I mean, is that not just blatantly? I'm like, great documentary, really interesting, but what's with the name? <laughs> I didn't notice that. And then my friend Lindsay Kelk, who is a friend of the show, I said to her, you, oh my God, have you watched Cons- uh, Seaspiracy? And she just went, why did they not call it Conspiracy? It's ruined it for me. I know, anyway, yeah, really annoying that. But I mean, someone's kicking themselves in the production office going, why did we not see that? <laughs> Netflix are like, ugh. But anyway, I watched um, that and I also watched uh, What the Health yeah. uh, in quick succession. And it really did make you realize that it's it's like big pharma, isn't it? It's just, it's yeah. corrupt. And it's, I don't want to be a part of that. And there's a, there's a, and it's even the things like the labeling, the dolphin friendly. Oh, how can you yeah. prove that something's dolphin yes. friendly? Oh, well, we, we, we can't. Like what? So you buy yeah. all these things in good faith thinking that- And at expense. Yeah. Added profit, you know, for them again. And I think there really needs to be government intervention for labeling, clear mm-hmm. labeling, traffic light system. I know we're all having tra- traffic light system problems with the going away scenario, mm-hmm. but we do understand, you know, and we need to understand why 50 names for sugar. Mm-hmm. Tell me if it's refined or tell me if it's natural. I don't want 50 different names for sugar. I want to know what's, but the trouble is they are so far behind on catching up with the bureaucracy of what is actually good and bad for you. I mean, the government advice is to still have a third of your, three quarters of your plate filled with grains and pasta and, you know, whole grain, whole grain bread and potatoes. Like it's the same thing. It's totally different food groups with totally, it's, far too simplistic you know we (laughs) whole grains have never done any any good for anyone you know we get enough fiber in meat and in uh avocados and you know that we don't need to be having processed grains at all it's ruining our our land anyway but you know there's no need for that level of carbohydrates in anyone's diet unless you're mo farrow not and last last time I looked at my best mates weren't doing that sort of like 100k a week sort of training you know so no. I think it's really old-fashioned and we always always put everything on the doctors well my doctor told me to do this doctors don't get taught about nutrition they don't even get taught about the perimenopause that essentially doesn't exist in their syllabus mm-hmm. yet so you're telling me that you're advising me to have a high carbohydrate diet while I've got an imbalance in my hormones and you expect me to be super mom superwoman so, you know, it, it just, it, it doesn't, it's not helping. It's not helping. We need to change. I don't know what the answer is, but. It makes you realize, do? it makes you realize, doesn't it? How wonderful the body is. Because when I think about my twenties 
And I, I mean, if I could go back and change what I ate, I a hundred percent would, but I can't. Um, yeah. But you think about how amazing the body is because I was feeding it a diet that was full of all those inflammatory oils and inflammatory foods and it, and it served me well. And I think there comes a point, doesn't there, where your body just, it just can't run on that fuel in the same way. Yeah. And I think there's that feeling of, oh, well, I'm just getting a bit older, but it doesn't need to, you don't need to no. feel your no. age in your thirties or forties. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. No, well, I'm, I, I did a, um, a biological um, age test. And chronologically, I'm, four, I'm 44 this year. Biologically, I'm 25. <gasps> oh, I bet that felt good. <laughs> I felt bloody hell yeah it works you know mm. and I know uh, and that's got nothing to do with how lean I am that has to do with how my body is operating and I have bearing in mind I gave up drinking at 31 so those last five years of drinking which are my which is when I partied the hardest I mean I thought I'd never feel as good as I did like when I was 22 but I, I do I feel like you know my body can can function at the age of a 25 year old and I think that's what we need to talk about not age as in your biological your chronological age it's age as how you feel how your body's operating not about how big your hips are or how big your boobs are or if you've got a double chin it's what's your body doing on the inside that's mm. what we should wear with pride but oh no it's all about like if I'm ever in the daily mail first thing they put is my age they don't do that about men do they straight away size eight or I mean it's just so demeaning isn't it you know and this this is how we, we've got to change no one's ever interested in you know actually I managed to heal my liver which you like you said you, the body wants to heal so I was one drink away from death and my liver is now operating of that of a 25 year old so you know the body wants to heal it doesn't want to fight you and it doesn't want to fight Mr. Kellogg's. It doesn't want to fight Mr. Unilever. It wants to work for you and it wants to survive. And you've just got to switch into that survival mode and go, no, I'm not having that. I'm not paying to lie in someone's pockets to feel 
this bloated, this inflamed, this sore, achy joints, my fingers swollen, my shoes tight. I'm paying someone to feel like this. And it's, you know, you've just got to go, right, enough, enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Let's try something different. Do you know, that's a brilliant way of describing it. And I've never thought about it that way, but it really, I, I really relate to it. The idea of thinking you go into survival mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what we as a human race are very good at. We can survive. It's like when my mum was diagnosed with cancer, I do not read, you know, I mean, obviously I'll read a, a fiction. I could really get into a, a good book. I don't, I, this was like the beginning of my journey. So as soon as she got diagnosed with cancer, all of a sudden I was going through scientific text. I was trying to read, I was educating myself just on that. It was like adrenaline kicked in and I went into survival mode. I did not want my mum to die. Mm. So I became a sponge for stuff I would never normally entertain. And that's how you, you switch, you know, you get this energy from somewhere. And when it's a life and death situation and you acknowledge that all of a sudden that mechanism kicks in because the body doesn't want to die. The brain doesn't want to die. It wants to thrive. And that's what we were born, that that's what we were born to do. We weren't born to just lumber through life. And because we are all survivors, we, we are all you know, cavemen, essentially, you know, we are hunter gatherers and that's what we need to re- remember. You know, I think, let, let, I think give, it, someone's... give the right ingredients and it will do the most incredible things. And I'm not just talking about losing weight. I'm talking about your brain will yeah. reoperate, realign. It's neuroplastic, you know, it will re it, it, the agility of it. So when I, when I first got sober, it was, I was sent to South Africa. There's hellhole as you can imagine um and you had to sign your rights away and at reception you know it's like here just sign on the dotted line here I was that brain damaged I wrote my signature backwards I couldn't write from left to right I kept going backwards like trying to sign Davinia Taylor and I just went I, I, I can't do it I was sober you know I've been off the booze for three days but that's what I'd done to myself through excessive drinking and I'm quite sure excessive eating as well but now look at me I've just written a bestseller so there you go my liver's healed I've written a bestseller when I was one drink away from obliterating my liver and I couldn't even sign my own name in the right direction you know so that is how how you know brilliant it is to feel good you know imagine that I mean that to me is phenomenal I shouldn't really technically be here, really. Oh, don't say that. Um, but it, but it, you're right. The body does want to heal. It is about getting into survival mode. And it's interesting reading the book and listening to you today. I think about all of the podcasts I've listened to with people like Tim Ferriss and mm-hmm. uh, Peter Attia. Is it Attia how you say his name? And they talk about taking metformin. And these are all mm-hmm. things that a lot of these elite sort of guys in the States are taking to prolong yes. their life. Yeah. And I'm listening to you and I'm thinking you don't need to take a pharmaceutical necessarily. If you're saying that you've turned your physical health around that much and you're not some sort of anomaly and let's just kind of throw this at you. I mean, did you throw a ton of money at it? Because there are going to be people listening um, thinking, isn't she, isn't she got quite a lot of money? Um, no, no, because, um, well, I'd run out of money if I did everything those biohackers did. No, I, what I found was I, I have chucked a load of money at it like the cryotherapy chamber that's really expensive so but I think a cold bath does it 
I'll be honest with you. And I think water is more conductive. Mm-hmm. So you get a better result. Yeah. It's convenient going in a cryo chamber for 90 quid for three minutes, but it's unsustainable. And um, basically it's convenient because you don't have to get dry. Yeah. yeah. That, that's yeah. it. That's it. So I, I don't live in central London. I've managed to maintain it. It's been a year now and lockdown. I think I put about two pounds on, you know, because moved back to Lancashire and Matthew and I decided that we were on holiday in Lancashire and we're not on holiday in Lancashire and you don't have to eat pies and have Eccles cakes because we live here now. We're not here for a weekend. We live here. So we have to stop the old traditional Lancashire treats. Mm. Um, but to be honest, it just highlighted to me how incredible your environment is. No, I, I take out uh, certain ingredients that I see on labels that goes back and there's more and more convenience foods coming up that have swapped out those ingredients. So for example, there's Hunter and Gatherer. Mm -hmm. They um, have mayonnaise, ketchup, without all those inflammatory ingredients in. They've taken out the sunflower, they've taken out the rapeseed oil, they've replaced it with avocado oil, or they've replaced it with olive oil. That's all you need to do, just Mm -hmm. swap. And you know, we're we're talking, just become more observant of what's going into your body. Learn to read a label, that's free, you know? And, that's a really important distinction, Davinia, because I think a lot of people will think, you know, I was talking about those morally superior kind of lifestyles. They sort of come with, you think that Gwyneth Paltrow is living it. And we know that Gwyneth is incredibly wealthy. And so we think, well, I can't afford that. But actually, the real thing you're saying is, okay, the price tag on that particular mayonnaise might be a bit more, but actually it's on you to read the label. Yeah, but you can make mayonnaise. I can't be asked. I really can't. <laughs> and it just ends up a disaster. And I, I will pay the premium for that, but you can make it. And even Hunter and Gatherer, who are, I think they're now in Sainsbury's as well as um, Ocado and all those ones. But, but they say, we'd rather you made it. Mm-hmm. But if you've not got time, like me, I've got four kids. I'm constantly doing some sort of school run or some football trip or whatever it is. I just buy it, you know, and it's convenient. And I, 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 I I think the, the, the market will shift soon as we start talking about these oils being in there. I'd rather sugar in there. I'd rather refine sugar than these oils. So sugar, your body to an extent understands. It understands what it is. You can burn sugar off. Mm. You cannot with these oils. It was never meant to be there. And um, I think they penetrate because they're, they're fat soluble. They can penetrate your cell walls. And that's where the problem arises. Yeah. Sugar, we can do some walking lunges after and you'll probably get your muscles to burn it off. But these oils, forget it. It's going to end up in your brain. It, it, did you say in the book, is sunflower oil, was it originally made to clean machine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Machine, machine. Um, again, coming back to the Ansel Keys uh, study who decided that saturated fat was bad for us and was causing heart disease. And that, those, that study literally was the birth of the low fat movement. Mm. And it's, yeah, like I said before, it's been debunked and it was falsified. And uh, we do need saturated fat and we do need cholesterol um, for mental health and for hormonal health. And so um, basically they needed another source of income. Agricultural industries used it as another source of income and just rolled it out as a low saturated fat. Do you know what is- And then then Vitalite was born. Oh God, I Don't remember, you remember the advert. Yeah, I remember the yeah, advert. I used to have that. <laughs> I used to think it was really cool as well. Like, and I'd probably make my mum buy it because it was in a round tub and not a square yes. tub. It was easy to spread. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you taste it now, it tastes like plastic. 
I mean, I think it is virtually plastic, but it's funny because I do the, the boys washing. There's this thing you get from Aldi. It's called the pink stuff. And it's about, I think it was invented in like the 30s or something. It's called the pink stuff. It gets everything out. It's like this weird pink pate. And, you, and my kids have got this thing about going outside in white socks. Really annoying, but I don't kick off because of their earthing. But that's sounding a bit quinny. <laughs> anyway, but they come in with black socks is my story. And this stuff gets... You rub it on and then you put it in the washing machine, this paste, and it gets out the the, the it gets the socks white again. The predominant ingredient in that is veg oil. Shush. Oh my god. I looked at it and I thought, what the hell's in this? Because it says plant-based at the front. And I thought, surely not. There it is, bold as brass, like 90% vegetable oil. And that was invented in the 30s. So some smart ass scientists have thought this oil can go in food and then we've cornered the saturated fat problem and let's put it in everything do you know I did after I read the book I was and I don't have any cheese and onion squares in my house anymore that, that used to Good. be the treat. you always think about them they'll always be there they'll always be there so I don't have alcohol in the house what's the point but I've made such good progress though because I I used to I used to not have food in the house because I knew I would eat it Okay. So I used to go every time I wanted to eat, I would go out and get food. And if I did have food in the house, you can bet your ass I ate it. My kitchen's now full of food. Right. Yeah, but nutritious food. So yeah. it doesn't matter if you eat it. It's actually a good thing. But then I was watching, because you were on this morning recently and you were saying swap, swap in butter. And obviously we love Dermot and we love Alison. And Dermot said, oh, you don't have to persuade me to butter. And I thought, you know what? If I had seen this interview three years ago, before I had got sick and tired of being sick and tired of myself, I would have gone out and I probably would have gone through that butter in two days. Yeah. Okay. I would have been so, like, I've been given permission to eat. Yeah. But do you know what? I, I think you probably would have filled up physically and mentally of it. It's very hard to overeat something like eggs. It's very hard to, you know, if you, you have four eggs, you're kind of like, you need a break. Mm -hmm. So I think while you may binge on something, it's kind of okay to do that because you're coming from a transition Give yourself a bit of time. If you're going to binge on butter and eggs, freaking hell, so shoot me. That is okay. Your body understands it as food. You will get over that. It is so much better than binging on said square crisps. You know, you, you will adapt and you will become less and less hungry. And I mean, you'll fill up on that and you will use those eggs and all that butter. You're not, you're not going to store it constantly. Your body understands it. It'll go, okay, we'll use that. We'll use that. We've got some enzymes there. We've got some minerals there. It is not a square crisp. So if you feel like you need to binge on eggs, go get it. Like somebody asked me, oh, I can't get rid of the sugar cravings. I'm like, well, do you know what? Don't worry. Put a banana in a protein shake. Fair enough. It's got sugar in it, but it's, a, it's an okay sugar. Mm -hmm. All this vic uh, vi villainizing fruit. For God's sake, if someone's coming off Mars bars and things, they need a transition. They need a middle ground because, I mean, it's impossible to maintain. You need to look forward to something. We're programmed in our brains to hunt out food that is calorie dense and high in sugar. Because if we were on like the Serengeti 200 years ago, that would have kept us alive, you know? Yeah. So you can't beat yourself up that you're craving these foods. Your brain is wired that way. So give yourself a break. Just swap it for something that doesn't, need tearing to open you know get yourself a decent organic whey protein shake and then whack a banana in it maybe put some cinnamon in it give it a bit of maybe some nuts as well 
do not worry about what's going in there and just understand it is real food. Even though it's convenient in a protein shake, it is nutritionally dense. And if you have two of them, so what? It's not two pizzas. Mm. You're making a swap. You are feeding yourself. It might be too much, but you will slowly come back from it because you're still in an addictive sort of psyche, still craving certain bliss point foods. You've got to, you've got to make the transition and it might take a couple of weeks. What's a couple of weeks for the rest of your life? That's the difference, isn't it? A diet is like, right, the diet starts today and the diet oh, is And then like, the diet, diet ends and then what? Back to normal. Oh, great. Oh, and by the way, I'll give you another 50 quid for when I need to get the key ready. You know. But that's the thing is like, I've done many diets and I realize now I was good at dieting. What I wasn't good was at living it. Living it. So I was mm. good at restricting, but I wasn't good at living in a way where I wasn't putting on weight. So yeah, exactly. I, 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 I think I think because of that end date, you just go, okay, right, I've done that now. Yeah. Let's go back to the, You've not learned anything. Yeah, you know, yeah. You've not evolved. And that's what I wanted to put in my book with the two-week reset. This as an addict and as an alcoholic and as uh, someone recovering from carbohydrate, sugar addiction, this is a transition. So you can become metabolically flexible and you can have the odd off day. And if you do, fret not, I've got your back. You, you can you can take these supplements, you can take this, which are dirt cheap, Holland and Barrett dirt cheap, you know, and they're readily available in boots and you can take this. So if you do have a down day, I don't know, maybe you, your husband's just filed for divorce. Maybe your house has fallen through. Maybe your kids just got kicked out of school. All of things I can understand and relate to. <laughs> and I'm likely to have a pizza on it or a Chinese takeaway and probably make myself feel worse. But I've got your back. I've got certain things, biohacks you can do to mitigate that feeling of that draining feeling and that inflated feeling and that self-worth and that lack of willpower feeling don't worry about it write it off and then get back on it do you know what that was the feeling that I really when I think about uh how uncomfortable I used to feel in my body it was that feeling of like trying to squeeze my fist and my fingers feeling like sausages that were gonna pop yes like yeah like swollen up like you've been stung yeah. And that's how, yeah, and it's like um, like you've been stung by bees or you've had a splinter in you and your the splinter is trying to come out and your finger swells around it. But that was like around every joint. Yeah, yeah. And it was almost itchy, you know? So yeah. that's chronic inflammation. That's, that's inflammation. And that is your body saying, I can't get this stuff out. Help me. Just give me a break. At least, you know, give me 12 hours to digest it and try and poo it out. Just stop <laughs> it. Stop what you're doing. You know, it can't talk back and your brain can get seriously tell you the wrong thing, you know? So the reset, would you say the reset is that don't think about starting a diet. Think about the reset as like that transition of you're going to need to do this to get you physically and mentally into the space where you can then implement a lot. Yeah, yeah, make, make your own choices. You know, what works for you? You know, I personally don't like eating during the day. I'm a much more of a nighttime Netflix type person. Apparently that's not good. Tim Biohacker said I should shift my eating window much earlier. But unlike me, Tim doesn't have fluctuating estrogen and progesterone levels. So I generally take solace in a nighttime, sit down, kids have gone to bed, picky, 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 load of sourdough, sat in bed, you know, like a pig. Love it. (laughs) My favorite thing. That's what I like to do, you know. So but if you prefer to eat during the day, fine, do that. I can't stop myself once I start. We're all slightly different, you know, but the reset is basically to draw you out the seductive out, uh, inside aisles of the supermarket, 
realize how bad those ingredients are making you feel and put you on a trajectory of a bit more, you're less blinkered, your eyes are open to everything that's available to you. And I think nothing, unless you've got an allergy, nothing is out of bounds. And if you start thinking how your great grandmother, great, great grandmother, how your relations ate, I think you're on the right track to eating a genetic appropriate diet because we're all from different parts of the world. We've all got different sort of like little isms in our gene code. And to get here today, to survive here today for a millennia ago through famine, through war, through migration, your ancestors have done a pretty good job in surviving to get you here today. And if you rewind the clock, you can see what nutrient dense they were looking for. So I'm Northern European. I often get depression. I think I'm terrible with SAD when it's overcast, it's awful. So I generally eat how say a Viking would, which is tons of oily fish, which will help my brain be happier because it's the omegas my brain needs to keep me out of that depressive zone. So the last thing I need is more veg oil. Maybe that's why I'm so susceptible to it. Yeah. I feel boom when I eat, when I get my omega six, three ratio wrong. It's funny. I was uh, around at my brother's house and I was in between my two sessions of reading the book and we were doing a bit of a clear out and he didn't have any food in. And he said, oh, do you want a protein bar? And I said, oh yeah, sure. We were just busy, busy, busy. 15 minutes after or 20 minutes after we had the protein bar, we both were like, should we call it a day? And I, I yes. came back, finished the book the next day and rang him and said that that protein bar killed, killed, killed that us. day. Killed us. I mean, they, they, they multidextrins in a lot of, uh, because they're sugar free. So they've put a, a sweetener in it. And I was talking to Tamsin Lewis, the doctor, and she said that that is notorious for bloating. And so if your stomach is bloated, obviously your gut is inflamed, which is stopping you from producing serotonin which is your happy hormone, i.e. keeping you on track, keeping you content with what you're doing. And it's just going to tell you to go to bed, to just let this inflammation die down. It's a yeah. killer. I mean, it's, and that's a protein. I bet, do you know, I bet there's about 20, odd car, car, 20 grams of carbohydrates in that and about 15 grams of protein, but you just didn't turn the label around to read it. No, I just took it from him and said, thank you. Um, now let's talk about, let's talk a little bit about movement because I think um, obviously we've talked a lot about diet and food, Mm. And again, bring it back to my own personal journey. I changed the way that I ate and now I feel more physically capable than I ever have, which is why I've said on the podcast when uh, Dr. Gemma Newman came on, I said, if I'd known in my twenties, what I know now, oh God, maybe I would have taken over the world because I just feel so much better. How much does movement how much of a role does movement play? Because what I don't want to do is for people to think, oh, you've got to completely change your diet and you've got to become super active. And I think no. you have a opposite. really good quote. Op 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 opposite, opposite, because um, I have a tendency to um, push myself, uh, probably ego driven, you know, I've got a super uh, successful dad and I'm always trying to prove to him, look, look what I can do, I'm 40. A selling book. He yeah, he's really not interested. He's like, uh, he's made up about the book. But what I, my point is, I went, I, I took myself on a half marathon, yeah, um, around the sort of uh, hills around here, and you know, I sent him a text. Look what I've done. He's like, yeah, thumbs up, great, the match is on. Meanwhile, after I pushed myself to that extent, it took me three days to get out that low mood. And after the marathon, I've done that a couple of times. I get a hangover and I spoke to Dr. Tamsin about it. She's ex-Iron Man athlete. And she said, yeah, of course, you're in chronic inflammation, you maniac. <laughs> and I have 
a cutoff point of 10K at a push before my mood dips. So I actually get more of a high just doing a nice, slow, steady 5K. So that's my, that, 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 that's, that's my nice pace. I mean, it just so happens that, you know, I can do a little run around here and it's 5K and I very rarely sprint. Only if a really good song comes on, I'll run for the chorus just to get some endorphins. But I now know overtraining will cause me depression as well. So what I recommend is do not sign up for something ridiculous like I did with the marathon, because actually I caused myself a little bit of a depressive episode doing it. And I really, if you're going to lose fat, if you're doing this for your body, I mean, you will get the mental health issues anyway, because you're firing all sorts of like little neuro, uh, your synapses will be electric. We are electrical creatures, so movement is charged. But what the misconception is, is the harder you train, the more fat you're going to burn. You're not, you actually start storing it mm-hmm. because your body goes into fight or flight mode and it starts pumping out cortisol. And you'll just be, you'll be training your heart, which is great. And your lungs are cardiovascular workout. But most women of our age really are after just burning some fat. So the best, best piece of advice that I got from a personal trainer a few years ago, he said to me, have you ever seen a bodybuilder getting ready for a show when they want to come down to like 4% body fat, you'll never see them run. You'll just see them incline walk. Mm -hmm. And that's all they'll do in the gym. They will incline walk because anything else will make them fill up with water and fill up with body fat. So your best friend is the treadmill with your headphones on, maybe sending a few texts on an incline walk for as long as you can, for as long as you can spare. Now that, if I'd have known that, that would have saved me a ton of injuries and everything running that daft marathon. <laughs> and, you know, uh, but it was interesting for me to see how depressive that inflammation is to me. I felt like I had a hangover and I should have been on a runner's high. So I, I'm just not built for that. My, my body can't take it. It's interesting about two years ago when I started uh, training, I was doing, and I had my epiphany and I was training three times a week and I do lower body, upper body. And then my final session would be kind of, a full body with a focus at the end on the core, right? And it would only be about half an hour. And then I just walk, go for an hour long walk the rest of the day. So four hour long walks. And then I started feeling really good, Davinia. So what did I do? I started doing four workouts a week, started uh-huh. training with heavier weights. Then I was doing Jillian Michaels, which is six days a week. And I was feeling amazing. And I was like, like properly feeling fantastic. But I was getting like, my legs were feeling really puffy again. And I just thought, what's okay. going on here? And I was just, well, I was building, yeah, yeah, I was obviously building muscle as well. And then I read the book and I thought, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to what I was doing two years ago, three workouts, four walks. Last week was the first week I did it. And I could almost feel my, honestly, it was, you know, when you can feel that you're burning food, that feeling of just feeling like an efficient, you feel lean, you don't that feel... burning machine, yeah. yeah. Because that's kind of what we were designed to do by yeah. God or whatever was a clever guy was out there, uh, or girl. Um, you know, that's what we've evolved to do. And that's why we store fat. So we've always got it to walk because we are long distance creatures, you know, uh, the brilliant book called Born to Run. And it says that why we are... It's on my shelf uh, behind me. We're actually better... Uh, sorry. <laughs> someone there no no it's on the shelf behind me oh right sorry I thought you were like <laughs> oh Amazon what have you got um yeah so born to run. so basically there was something about born to run that I found interesting about 
we're better long distance runners than dogs because they have to stop and pant, whereas we can just respire and sweat and we just carry on. So, but nowhere in it says, should you do flat out sprints all the time, you know? And we can, we can plod along. And particularly when you get lighter, um, it's, it's very easy to just run and get in, uh, into a slower pace and just boom, 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 get into a rhythm that I always run with music as well. You know, I find it really, really uplifting and all movement starts in the brain. So I feed my brain fat before I do anything. So I put MCT powder in my coffee before I go for a run. I don't put, I don't put the oil in, but sometimes I overdo the oil and I find myself a little bit heartburny. So I, the oil comes after. It's normally the MCT powder I put in my coffee and then I go for a nice run. So, and I just fuel, and then my body had then been given a fat as a fuel and it goes, okay, that's what we're doing. We're not doing glucose. Great, let's get into the fat stores. And that's just, it just signals my body to burn fat. So a slow, steady run, a little bit of 90s house music, Sometimes the Dirty Dancing soundtrack depends where I'm up to, you know, a bit of Patrick Swayze. And um, yeah, I just, I just reminisce about the good old days or something. And I get that, you know, the goosebumps, the euphoric recall, and it, it actually increases my dopamine, which I think I'm a bit low in. So I crave it. I've got a bit of ADD. So that helps me then have enough dopamine for me to get through paperwork, you know, pay bloody, I don't know, fines, do whatever, you know, sort the council tax out, organize the bins that still haven't arrived. You know, this sort of horrible stuff that makes my skin crawl all of a sudden gets done because I've done a 5K run at a slow pace, fueled by fat. It just changes the trajectory of my day, you know? So it is, so for anyone listening to this who's thinking they feel that they're caught up in the addictive cycle of, even not fast food just just food just the food that we are food 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 that comes from a supermarket that's yeah that, that you've not made yourself yeah yeah it doesn't need it, it it actually isn't harder necessarily to make these shifts and what you really walk people through in the book is just making sense of it and I I love the bit about do you see lions um in in the wild going for the white meat no you see them ripping out the organs because that's where all yeah. the nutrition is yeah. And I think that's what we've forgotten. Um, we go for the sort of snack attack, don't we? I mean, we're always eating kids party food now. The what used to be a treat yes. on us like once a month because it was little Joey's birthday. We now have every day, all day and we eat kids party food all the time. You know, even if it's covered in an Indian spice, essentially it's just party food. And yeah, I think if you're trying to come away from that, you feed yourself some serious nutrition first. So your brain and body get fed first and then see how the craving levels are. So whether that is, you know, some scrambled eggs and an avocado, a bit of smoked salmon. If you can have that before the Domino's pizza arrives, just see how many slices you don't eat. I mean, you're bound to have one because, hey, that's what we do. The smells there, everything's seductive. You've got a million uh, signals going on in your head saying this is a calorie dense food. You need it just in case you have to run away from a run away from a saber tooth tiger anytime soon. But that's the way you're hardwired. But arm yourself before it comes in, or have a protein shake. You know, do do all the things. Give yourself some deep nutrition before you step in the ring with chemically geniusly designed addictive foods because otherwise it's like literally going head to head with a heavyweight fighter and you're completely unprepared you know and that's what it is these 
these food companies are giants. They are titans. They are mathematicians yeah. design their food, not dietitians. There is nothing in there that is there for our benefit. It's profit. So remember that and arm yourself against it because it is a fight. But it's a fight of wills. And if you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, the usual halt thing that you get in AA, uh, and by hungry, I don't mean hungry for cereal. I mean, hungry for nutrition. If you don't have those chemicals in your body to turn into neurotransmitters, to, to feed your brain, you've got no chance against these titans of food. I've read some really worrying articles about the way that the even the shape of the salt and sugar molecules in the food are mm-hmm. so that they'll absorb on the tongue more quickly. And like really, yeah. like you say, it's not um, dietitians or no culinary experts yeah no they are they're really good at graphs and things you know mental and yeah that they are making um fat more it's that's called mouthfeel when there's a certain level of those uh inflammatory oils in there and we're not we're not just talking uh about fat because there's so many different types of fat we have to be careful that you don't take my animal fat and coconut oil fat and avocado oil fat and olive oil fat the same as the veg oil fat that the big food industries use there's a different mouthfeel to them Mm. and you combine that with a certain size refined salt and a certain size refined sugar molecule and instinctively which you'd never see in nature you never seen fat and sugar in the same food group you know but we have it in abundance in everything including Mm. your protein bar you know They've just put the same ingredients in there. They've just relabeled it. And I think it's not fair. It's not fair that we're paying premium and it's not fair that we're being misled into thinking that something is healthy when it's not. It's just not fair. And we need need guidance and we need up-to-date guidance because obviously what we're being told now isn't working. This has been such an interesting conversation and the book is really brilliant. Are you going to write another one? I'd love to. I'd really like to. I mean, it depends on sales, doesn't it? You know what it's like. There you go. It's that margin again. But I'd really like to write another book. And what I'd love to write about it is how our hormones aren't discussed, because I'm a good friend of Meg Matthews and she pioneered the Meg's menopause thing. So it wasn't even on my radar till she mentioned it. But now I'm understanding because I'm on HRT now and I'm 43 and I have regular periods. And if I went down the NHS route, they'd say, tell me to go and go and jump and come back in 10 years time. Now I have postnatal depression, which is synonymous with low estrogen. I was never tested any hormones. I was just whacked on antidepressants and bipolar medication. So I'm sorry, but surely after IVF and having a childbirth and and having a postnatal depression, you might want to look into my hormones. Never once was it mentioned. So I'd really like to sort of investigate that a bit more and see what we can do as women from the age of like 35, to 65 what why is it not the conversation there that we should be having Davina McCall did a really good documentary mm. on the menopause you know and I think it's uh it needs it, it needs more airtime but it needs we need to understand it we need to understand what levels we should be at so we can go into our GPs and say according to the nice guidelines this is uh, this is my problem mm. I'm not depressed I'm hormonal yeah can you please help me seeing as I pay into this can you sort me out Thank I you, just because had, I'm losing my shit. Yes, I just had Jen Gunter on the show and she said exactly that. The narrative around menopause is so negative that we don't even have the conversation. No, you're just like, well, did it happen to your mom? Sorry, but my mom's dead. I don't know. 
I don't know. So, you know, don't tell me what I should ask my mother because she's not there. So mm. can you help me? And they just say, no, have some antidepressants. Or one woman, she went to the doctor saying she was, uh, she had no libido. And he said, well, you need to go to marriage counseling. She's like, no, I love my husband. I just don't have any sex drive. And then he said, we'll have some lubrication. And this <laughs> happened for years. But it's funny. I think it might have been Pippa Gordon message uh, on under the Jen Gunter episode said, we think about all the research and all the marketing around Viagra. Now tell oh. me about the equivalent for HRT. No way. And it's cheap as well. It's it's a cheap product. And, you know, it's, it's available. There's just so much bureaucracy. Like in the UK, we can't get testosterone. Why not? Of course, my body makes testosterone. I need it to burn fat and to give me drive and motivation. I think there's a correlation between women's weight gain and their lack of lack of zest for life mm. but we can't have testosterone why not if my french cousin can yeah well i well i think you should start there you go because That's i would definitely book. read it and i'm sure many listeners are nodding along thinking that they would read it too it's always such a joy to speak to you you're such a ray of sunshine and i and you're always so generous with your advice and you'll always well, it's not mine. It's, I mean, all these scientists, all these brilliant doctors, all these PhDs have done all the hard work. I'm just trying to make it layman's terms and apply it to us busy women, you know, and us busy families. And I, I just think, think of myself as a curator who has got a bit of a gift for turning boring text into something that you go, ah, oh, OK, got you. That's all I want to do. I love it. Well, listeners, obviously the link to Davinia, her social media and the book will be in the show notes. But thanks for coming back. There we go. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found that conversation with Davinia and me helpful. Like I said, if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns, or you can join the Facebook forum. There are thousands of us in there probably talking about this very episode. So please do go to the show notes and click the link to join the Facebook forum. You have to answer a couple of questions and agree to the forum rules, but I can't wait to see you there. So please don't delay. And obviously the links to the book, uh, Davinia's book, It's Not a Diet, and her social media will be in the show notes. So please, please go and follow her and definitely take a look at that book if you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.